You are listening to Smokin' Theologians, a long-form conversation with hosts Alex Gonzalez and Preston Graham. Alex is a filmmaker, digital creative, and our designated layman. Preston is a church planter and pastor, author, and our theologian. This is Season 3, Episode 6. Okay, Alex, where is your little tag that says you voted? I have not voted today. You gonna vote? I, I, I don't even know where my papers are. I think I'm still in New York. You don't know your papers <laughs> are. Yeah, I think I'm in what New York. papers you need? I don't know. What papers? I, I, I've never like signed anything like I live in Connecticut. Say full confession. You've never voted. I haven't voted. In, the last time I voted, I was like 18. So you motivated now? To vote? Or are you gonna do it? No, I'm, I'm not. All you need is a license. You don't have a license? I like to drive? Do you really want the truth? I just, I just, <laughs> I just don't. It's almost like a protest. It's a weird so you, protest I have. So you're protesting having a license? I'm protesting the voting process. Oh, okay. I think one day. What, what, how should, would you prefer it? I prefer it, honestly, now that I know a little bit about what's going on in the technology world, that we do it with uh, using uh, crypto, that we, we vote and a vote becomes an NFT. And then what's good about an NFT is that that is almost immutable, impossible to kind of fudge the numbers once. So but who controls it, the, this thing? It's decentralized. So we can set up a protocol. So everybody's, that's right. You're, it, it, doesn't everybody get to do it? So how do you know the right people are going to get in there and do it? How do you know the right people are going to go out and vote? Because we have a license to prove that they're, they're illegal. I understand what you're saying. <laughs> I understand what you're saying. You crack me up, man. There's, you never, you never cease to surprise me. Why? I, I, I'm very patriotic, though. That's why. That's yeah. why I'm surprised. But yeah. you're anti-vote. <laughs> I just, I'm on an, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't like to vote on, on an, I'm not, I'm not, I'm a little naive to what's going on. I don't really watch the news. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know who the candidates well, are. Well, I won't, I won't pry anymore. I saw a lot of signs, though. And the signs are just people's names. I need more context. Well, you can get that, you know. So, I mean, that's a good segue. <laughs> hey, Speaking I, I want to tell you a fun story. So, yeah. this is a great weekend here. We, um, you know, a church that we started six years ago, we particularized, which means they, God has graced them now with the proper apostolic foundation of government and all of that, so they become a full church, right? And after the uh, service, I was part of it, but after the service, downstairs, a guy comes up to me and says, hey man, I just love smoking theologians. I listen to it every week. Oh, yeah. I said, that's great, man. You're, you're enjoying it? And he, yeah, I really loved it. And he goes, um, he says, but you know, I figured if I'm gonna really watch this thing, I gotta get into the spirit. So now my tradition is every time I watch it, I get a cigar and I go outside and I start my fire pit and I sit there with you guys and um, smoke a cigar. So there we go. Cheers. Here's to the man who smokes cigars with us. To the man. Let me smoke it. Let me actually smoke it here, right? Anyway, that was kind of fun. Well, that is fun. And, and, it's, and it's backing up my claim that I think we need to do this over a fire pit one day. Yeah, well, we tried up in that Rondex, but oh. you got all messed up about it. That's because this guy wanted to do it in the middle of the woods with no electricity and. Had it all set up, baby. Yeah, let's, yep. not, let's not let's not be an old horse. You can find out more. You can find out more about that on our first episode. <laughs> it's back when somewhere trying to do a spin, you know. All right. Speak, so speaking of spin, 
how how are you gonna spin this one? Well, <laughs> this, is, this is a tough one. So we're gonna be in chapter eighteen and nineteen of Genesis, and it's the legendary Sodom and Gomorrah story, right? This was according to your device, by the way. We we let you choose it this time. We've let other we've let listeners choose them. So you are the listener participant that cho- chose this one. So why did you choose it? What the hell are you talking about? I did not choose anything. Yeah, you you guys told me last night we're doing Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, who was it that put Sodom and Gomorrah in there? I did. I, well, you put I, it in I, there. I didn't get home till 11 o'clock. So, and then you said Sodom and Gomorrah. And I said, okay. I read through the text and there was a Sodom and Gomorrah question mark. And I said, sure. Who did that? Did you do that, Annie? Annie. Annie you did that. Annie, our producer, chose this story. Alex did it. She did you do that? I was in the list I gave for and you gave Sodom and Gomorrah. See, your, your, your name continues to come. Well, his name comes in your name. And my, I don't remember we talked about that, but that's another subject. Anyway, so she actually chose it then, and then I adore, endorsed it, and you said yes. And here we are. So here we are. Thank you. So why did you choose Sodom and Gomorrah? Yeah. Annie. Get the microphone. <laughs> Put it on the record. it sounds a little crazy turning to salt yep so this is a story about a woman who turns to salt that's true it's a story and of, therefore oh. is the legend remember lot's wife that becomes almost a uh it's 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 referenced all throughout the scripture but particularly in acts when it starts the church there's a image that's very similar to that as well when so but anyway the story's really about for those who don't know it and i know there are many who are watching it probably don't um, and it starts off with, uh, so once upon a time, you know, God is uh, in, intervening in redemptive history again, and he does so with Abraham, and he promises Abraham and Sarah a child. And they were way over childbearing age, and they were very much, you know, uh, barren. And so that means that they weren't participating in this great redemptive legacy that had been passed down by Eve, the, the mother of life. And so, and the mother of redemptive history for that. And so, but God had made this great promise to Abraham that he'd be the father of a great history of the church, that he would truly form the great nation, city, church, if you will, that would eventually become the whole redeemed people of God. And through the sign of circumcision, God, he was made righteous in chapter 17 and um and that righteousness it's really important to understand is we think of righteousness in kind of a behavioral way yeah but this is really more of an identity and a status that you've been reckoned as righteous and it was a gift of grace it was that god reckoned that because abraham believed in the promise of god that he given him that he put his faith in that so all the way back to abraham we get the doctrine saved by grace through faith alone that starts with that story in chapter 17 and, um, and so in 18, we, we are hearing a, uh, Sarah just laughing hysterically. This, when God came, when Abraham and God came and told Sarah that she was going to have a baby, she cracks up. There's some debate as to whether that's a cynical laugh or whether that's a laugh of, with great joy. I, I tend to float a little bit of the laugh with great joy based on some of the work I've done, but it's, there's also good reasons to believe there's a cynicism to it. But the clear thing was, is that grace is full center here. The whole issue of saved by grace through faith alone. She's laughing. 
with this it's too good to be true kind of a thing how can how can i ever expect joy again in my barren body and so right after that um and that's being done where there's these three strangers and they they come to to uh to tell their this um one is described is called lord and then they're the other two and um so after this they then are on a mission because god explains how he had heard prayers and petitions from sodom and gomorrah that it's such a wretched place that prayers for justice prayer for god to intervene and so he they are sent on a mission with god so remember one is called adonai which is a common word for god it can be common for a lord as well like a human lord and um and these two messengers okay angels and um and then they go down and they're going to and so the so the really the story sort of picks up with with them explaining that they were going to destroy they were going to investigate and punish do justice upon this this wretched city abraham filled with grace filled with faith begins to intercede for them particularly because his his brother-in-law was there Haggle. lot or haggle huh he it seemed a little bit more of a haggle than an what does that mean he was like god we're about 50. we can go into that i'll, I'll go and i have some, yeah I have yeah some, do it go ahead there's a couple things there's a couple things off the bat that are ready well what about that hat yeah go what are you talking about hacking what do you mean the haggle the haggard. He's hagging God. He's hagging God. He's compromising with God. He's trying okay. to... Okay, what, th- what do you think about that? I it, I mean, just my whole problem with this is just the whole thing sounds like an Aesop fable. You yeah. know, especially with the numbers. What about 40? Excuse me, what about if there are 50 righteous people, would you spare the city? God says, sure. What about if there was 40? What about 30? What about 1? What about 10? Ten? Ten, I think it was 10. 10. Was yeah. 10 the last... He finally went, well, and then he, and he's kind of that last one especially is a little bit with trepidation. God, don't don't get mad at me here. I'm, yeah. Yeah. But what if there's just ten righteous? It's all about righteous, though. It's well, interesting. It's all about being righteous. We, we still have that question today. I mean, like, is it, it goes back to how how is God going to cast pe- if He does cast people into hell? Yeah. You know, and I and I use yeah. that. You're you're taking it right where it needs to go. You're right. I, I thought it's a, it's it's kind of the the question that we're asking today is. God, if you're good and, and you're holy, how could you spare my uncle? Could you... Now, if you are the righteous... But see, that's the thing that's now I never thought about. You're claiming righteousness is more of an identity rather than behavior. When I read that text, I mean, well, there, there's a behavioral component to it, but truth, it's those who have faith yeah. and have put their hope and faith in God. They're not serving the other gods, you could say. Yeah. They're putting their hope and faith in the God of, of creation and redemption. And so... So there's this whole focus is on grace, faith, righteousness. And this story comes into that context, which is very important to remember. So you're right. So, but what you need to see what Abraham's doing, it's, it's exposing God's grace and his patience. I mean, God, are you, are, you so, are you being quick here? Are you being quick to judge? Are you being eager to judge? And it shows how God is willing to, to do anything, to concede anything. If there's even just... 10 people in that whole humongous city that are righteous. I'll spare it for the 10, you know? And um, so that's how that story goes. And already you begin to see there's something going on here. Abraham, in this very 
very sacred space of of interceding and arguing with God, which is like a holy of holy kind of place. Sure. You know, you don't get in God's face that way. And yet Abraham has a special relationship with God that is going to be in the New Testament remembered as a Christ figure and how Christ now intercedes for those that are righteous, you see, and he's doing the same thing. And so anyway, you have that story. And, um, and so finally that's over. And then I'm saying it very quickly. Uh, they go now, this is where I thought maybe you chose it for. I thought it would be for this next scene. So scene three now is they go into the city. Abraham is with the, the three and God is speaking to the angels. Should we tell Abraham what we're going to do? You know, should we let him in on this, this thing? And, and he makes the case. Yes, we should, because he has been chosen as sort of the redeemer mediator of the church of God, the Israel of God, which is old Testament for church of God. And, um, and so, yeah, we're going to let him in on it. And that's how he got into the intercession in the first place. So they have this thing and allowed Abraham to, to know what's going on. So when they get there, they're going to, they're going to stay, you know, they, their plan was to stay in the city and lot, who's a very righteous man says, was oh, that Abraham's son? I think that's his brother-in-law. Okay. Um, brother-in-law, right guys? Lots of brother. We have some pastors off yeah. screen. Yeah, just yeah, to, we got to fact check, check what we're saying. And so, Lot um, is, is his brother? I said brother-in-law. Brother-in-law? Yeah. Nephew? Let me hear nephew. Uh, nephew? Okay, nephew. That's it. Okay, so he, uh, so basically the nephew, the, you know, Lot says, oh, by no means are you going to live in this city. It's a horrible city. You're going to, you're going to stay with us. And they, they go through a banter for a while, but they end up, okay, we'll stay with you. So they stay with him. Well, that night, all this, it describes it as like a big lynching mob with torches, you can imagine, and they come to this house and they're demanding that they, uh, that he deliver over their guests, that they might know them, which is to have an indecent sexual relations with them. Very, you know, it, what's called an, unna an unnatural thing. Sorry, so, so just, to, just to, to clarify, so Lot and Abraham are, some, are in a, in like a, fortress of sorts or like they're in a place and the whole city is kind of like banging on the door. Yeah, whether it's a fortress, you, you, you could be a right. Keep, a keep. Let's call it a keep. Yeah. They, they, they have a locked door that they're trying to get into and essentially devour them. Yeah. Well, take the strangers. And it's a very, very sacred thing in, in ancient culture, even it is as today in, in village cultures that you are to protect and and treat street, you know, to uh, to treat strangers as if they are sent from God kind of thing. And so they are very, he said, no, you can't do this. You cannot humiliate me as a host. You cannot humiliate my guest. He barters with him. He barters with him. And finally he says, look, you take my daughter. She is yet to be known and you can do what you want with her. Now that is a cringeworthy moment in this text. It's like, what are you doing? You know, sacrificing your daughter to protect the integrity of this home and th again it's hard for us to imagine how this could be a righteous act and indeed it's not going to be and this is where i'd remind you you know the bible tells you stories but they don't always it doesn't always make the sub part the story so we don't know what god feels about this at least from a story until he does what he does which we will know in a minute 
um, right now he offers them whether that would have been considered a noble thing or not it's hard honestly to tell um, where it could have been though is the idea that that these sacred guests are coming are literally coming from God I mean one's being called Lord he may even be God incarnate himself a pre-incarnation of Christ so in a sense there's these are these are very very holy strangers they're not just anybody yeah. and and he's bartering with a daughter sorry, which back just, then just to clarify and the mob was after lot or was the mob after, after the strangers, the strangers? So after there must the, have been something special about the strangers. Absolutely. This is that all they, about them. That That's they, right. It's almost like if a celebrity came, the whole mob is going to... Well, imagine God. <laughs> you know, <laughs> That's I a mean, big one. Yeah, yeah it's, it's God and his messengers yes. that are there in flesh, and he is there to be hospitable to them and to protect them from the mob. So now God intervenes. The strangers say, no, no, we are not letting her go outside. So thankfully, the story tells you what God thinks about that idea. He didn't like it. And, um, and they turn everyone themselves. And uh, they, they immediately curse them with uh, blindness. And all the people go blind that are sitting around. The, the strangers the do to the outside. Yeah. Wow. So he takes care of them, basically, <laughs> by cursing them. Okay. And then the story goes on. Fast forward here. Basically... They, they are leaving, so they gather up their, their household, and they are fleeing Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm thinking of, if you ever read John Bunyan's, you know, you can imagine Christian. Remember when he's leaving the worldly city before oh, it's getting judged? Fair. Yeah, the vanity. Well, no, he's leaving the city of destruction. Yes, yes, yes. That's patterned after this, that story. So they're leaving the city of destruction, basically, of people who are about to receive judgment from God because they've become so perverse and it describes them in this horrible language, you know, that they were sexually perverse and they were, and then evil, very evil. I mean, to this day, the word sodomy is, yep. is, is taken analogous with like cruel sexual yeah. bestiality yeah, stuff exactly. that's not supposed to happen. And, but underneath it is they have, they're clearly rejecting God as their, their Lord, but they've not put their hope and faith in, in, in God, Yahweh. And so, they're leaving, and the last part of the story then is, uh, as they're leaving, uh, Lot's wife turns and looks back at the, the city of destruction, Sodom, and she immediately turns into a pillar of salt. And this is meant to be a, a judgment for those who are being saved, and yet look back and envy is that, life of does that go back to the parable where it's uh, no one's worthy of the kingdom of heaven and the farmer who, who still holds on to the plow? Good, yeah. Right? Yeah, maybe, yeah. I haven't looked at it, but yeah. Yeah, Sounds Jesus. Right. Yeah. That guy. I know, I don't remember everything. Oh, excuse me. Well, you heard it here first. That might be in one of those things we talk about connections. Yeah, just oh, yeah sure. There's... Well, but that seems you, a little unfair. Well, and as you go through redemptive history, this is this story becomes the the most remembered story, honestly, perhaps in the Old Testament, second only to the Exodus or something. And you see it. I mean, literally, I have passage after passage after passage after passage where the pro, the Deuteronomy will talk about it. It all becomes a warning. This is meant to warn those that would not repent and who would not turn their hope to faith in God. And so you're right, very clearly, by the time we get to Revelations, Sodom and Gomorrah is a, uh, 
It's a prophetic, in the words of Revelation, it's a prophetic way of talking about hell. That what we were reading about in this story, in Genesis, was the whole story of hell and who goes there. And yet, in the context of that story, being revealed with this overwhelming opportunity of grace that was offered to them through the intercession of Abraham. So there's the story, and we'll, we'll play around with it, but what do you want to do with this? There's a lot going on. I mean, firstly, maybe just talk in reverse real quick. Let me, let me just make sure I'm getting it straight. Abraham pleads with God to save the city. God obviously knows there's no righteous folks in the city. I'm, interp- I'm doing a little interpretation knows but he still wants to show Abraham the reason why we do know there's at least one family that's righteous in their household yeah. a lot so a lot is there and then all of a sudden like almost like zombie like the entire population a lot of the population of the city yeah, it looks like the dead that- and kind of like go to the house and in an act of desperation to preserve the angels or the three strangers um, he offers up his daughter the angels blind the people and prevent that to happen um and then they flee but this is the part of the story that like i just don't it doesn't seem fair what's that what's that movie in netflix is it the zombies of the dead or something of the dead it reminds me of like world war z but no what's the yeah maybe but there's another one that was maybe five years ago people were all watching it and it's these walking zombies or whatever walking dead the walking dead that's it that's the picture i have in my mind is this town that are the walking dead. They are already, they're already cursed by their own rejection of God, and they are literally surrounding a house trying to destroy the only righteousness left in the city. And they're trying to destroy it. I mean, why did Moses That's, stop at 10? I mean, Abraham stop at 10. <laughs> I think those are symbolic numbers. I think they're symbolic numbers. Keep in mind that when 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 we speak of Lot and his household, that household could have been hundreds. It could have been hundreds. Um, in fact, when you see later in the destruction, you know, uh, through the great army, I mean, thousands. And so, yeah, it could have been hundreds in terms of a, a biblical household. And when it says she looked back, is that just like an innocent, like you're running and you look back? Or was th- is that more symbolic of she didn't want to go forward, she stopped and she wanted to go yeah, back to it's, where it's, she was? Yeah, it's... Throughout the history of, of interpreting and also in the scripture, you see that, that it, it's really reminiscent of someone who has not fully, you know, put their hope and faith in God for the future. That they're looking back, wanting, lusting, whatever that is, desiring that which is hell. And Remember also, the story that's of the Bible scares, and that's, hell. that's what scares me the most is because I can definitely relate to that woman. Again, this reminds me of, um, again, Mr. Lewis, this reminds me of the great divorce where the people who were in hell were not the people who we think are just murderers and whatever. Yeah. Or it's the one who, it's the mother who didn't want to let go of her love of the child. Yeah. It's the artist who didn't want to let go of the paintbrush. It's what we love that destroys us in Timothy 3. It's, it's, it's not wanting to let go of our idols. So that's right, and so yeah. very good, and so. And, and I fear for myself for that, yeah. to be honest. I don't well, know what, and that's what the point. I do, what should I do? Well, I mean, let's be careful what we mean by it. It's not just any love. It's, it's that which we love in a way that denies God, that, that 
is disobedient to God. Remember, lovers of pleasure, lovers of, of money, lovers of self, it says in Timothy. And rather than lovers of God, that's the key though. It's, it's, it's idolatry. It's putting my heart and giving my heart and soul to something that's not worthy to be loved and trusted the way that we should love and trust God. So remember, they did this in some ways, Lot is the, Lot's wife is representing any who, who love this world in a way that God delivers them. Hell, remember in scripture, I've said it I think back in our second season, but that hell is not a place, we put ourselves in hell, we choose hell by God simply delivering us over to what we want which was independence, self-sufficiency, and to do what's right in my own eyes, that's hell. Rather than living under this beautiful, ordered kingdom of God that is for us to be lived, and where we're set apart from the, from the burden and the slavery of our flesh. And that freedom that sets us free then to live the life that that really truly is the good life and the life that God has given us. I have, I, tell me if I'm wrong. I, I think that... See, I think God gets a really bad rap about hell. For sure. Because... I, and it's also like, I, I've always thought like there's... I'm about to go down a rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. We don't ever do that here. No, no, no. The rabbit hole. I think every human, there's like an idealized version that God intended that human to have a life, a destiny of every human that there, there's a certain perfection as if God put heaven in our heart we know we're supposed to be long deep to something down we all know that we're heading somewhere we're on a journey we're supposed to go someplace well, I, good I could see a better I always see off in the distance a better version of myself if that makes sense yeah. or yeah there's some things that I, I get upset that I'm not there yet but it, but then, it, then but I have to be careful where I don't want to that turn into some kind of um perfectionism or just trying to like elevate the self or just becoming like the best person I can be I think that would be in vain it's rather than I think the way that it, like a, a, a sculptor makes a, a sculpture an ideal body an ideal version of a life we prefer seeing what happens if we slap some more clay to our legs because we like the feeling of I don't know why, but but I, what I'm trying to say is there's God's ideal of what human ought to be. The perfect. I mean, we're the pinnacle. Of, we're the crown of creation. Let's be honest. And then there's humans' versions, and without God in that mix, I can definitely see how it can get perverted. And and honestly, just this goes back to yesterday. Where are we going? Well, first of all, before I even go there, I I just to give you some context. I was just the last week in San Francisco with a lot of people who want to change the world. You think that with this new technology, everything is going to be democratic, decentralized, there's not and going to be- you, And I'm hearing you're doing pretty well with that world. You came in, I, you, you were you I, uh, almost, I, I'm you doing were well good that, enough to get a reward. And that terrifies me. Why? <laughs> Why am I doing so well in that world? Well, because you're good at it and God, but, and, and but it's it goes, a good- But it goes back to like, I, I, I'm sometimes I can feel myself nihilistic where it's like, well, what's the point of improving if I, I don't want it to be in vain? I, I, yeah, I, that, I hear what you're asking. That's, I think. A, that's, a, that's, a, that's another conversation. Well, let's, let's try to answer one of those questions at yeah. least. What, what did I just ask? <laughs> I, I, I'm, what do you, I mean, but I don't, so hell is not 
a, a definition of hell, which is really what this passage wants us to talk about. Yeah. It's it's not the good life. It's it's the horrible life. It's it's a life we build for ourselves precisely because in our arrogance and pride we 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 become self-centered in a way that the whole world gets decayed with that self-centeredness and everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes which is ultimately anarchy and chaos and selfishness run amok and that's what that's what this place was and the righteous were begging to god please save us they're they're lynching our homes there you know there's a no this is a very graphic story of a physical kind of place but but don't we do that we do that on you know social media we're we're just there's a kind of say what you That's want what I'm what's and, preserving america right now i i can one day think i can see how are we not and i don't want to get i don't want to get political but i'm i'm just saying like there are many times a reading of all these cities in the old testament that uh, yeah. Just turned and did what's right in his own eyes. There's stuff and, happening like that all over the world. And I kind of see what's persecutions happening. And I see what's happening now, and I'm, I'm waiting. Well, when's the pillar of fire coming? Well, that, that's the point. Here's so, my big question. Yeah, is it all? But God saved is patient. He's that's and the answer is we got from this passage. If there's even ten, he's waiting. He's waiting. Peter references this very thing when when it's asked, why is God waiting so long to come back? And it says because he is patient wanting to wait for all to repent and to be saved. This, this, this story perfectly puts in tension the grace of God, this unlimited grace of God, and yet the justice of God that will eventually save us from ourselves and our worst selves. And he'll do that either by, by sanctifying us through Christ or by sending us where we in our own minds want to go, which is the love of money and the love of self and the love of, of whatever. And, and so in all of this stuff that's described in chapter one of Romans, you can go back and read it. It's just a list of the stuff that's descriptive of what's happening in Sodom and Gomorrah and what's happening in our life in all kinds of various ways. We've gotten a little more sophisticated about it. We have sex trafficking that would make the Sodom and Gomorrah look tame and yet it's underground and we don't talk about it a lot. But I can't remember this astronomically gross number of children who are being trafficked for sex right now on this globe. And you cry out, God intervene, would you? And he will, and he is, but there's still 10 righteous left. You see, that's the storyline. There's still 10 righteous and I'm not gonna destroy the 10 righteous because of this abject grossness of sin. But the sin that's in the world right now, we, we, you know, again, I think God gets a bad rap for hell. Hell is a relief. It's a, it's a part of justice that we all want that sends that which is corrosive and horrible into the, into the destruction. And, um, and we choose it. It's not that we were made to choose it. You know, it's, it's not the devil made me do it. I wanted it. That's the way the scripture describes it. In Romans chapter one, it strives it that, that God gave manifest revelations of himself to the whole world. Even those who haven't heard of Christ, they have enough to know there's a God and should be worshiped. And it says that the whole world in their original sin, which is what we mean by that, rejecting God, in our own self because we were made in the image of God in a manner that can very easily begin to worship ourselves because we're that high of a creature. 
and yet we forgot that apple. We forgot that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that sacramental union that we have with God through faith in him and his sufficiency, not mine. And so, yes, God gets a bad rap. I think that we send ourselves to hell and we vote, we vote hell into our lives every time we do what's right in our own eyes. Every single time what we're saying is, screw you, God, I'm doing it my way for my selfish ends. So what hope do we have? Because I do that every the grace. day. That's right, I do too. The gra in some manner and form, yeah. we, we are doing it every day. of my heart. And Original also, sense always I sense it at the myself. heart of I all mean, sins. It's also e easy to be in a, in a... I want to use my words carefully. Um, before I go there, real quick, I think it's like easy to roll our eyes and like the love of money, the love of self. And I think some people who hear this would, they're like, well, I'm not like that, but, 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 right. hear me out. Right. That saying, well, I'm not like that, but, 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 is, is exactly what I'm talking about. What it is, is I, my, I'm beginning to believe that it's not, we want power. Money gives you power. Love of self gives yes. you power. You can structure your life to completely be your own little universe and only Money allow really people is in. Very powerful. Yeah. You can only allow people in on Thursday at three thirty. You know what I mean? Like we're completely slave to Google calendars. Um, I can go on and on, but it's all about control. So do you think it's all about power? Is money evil? No. It sounds like you just said it was. It's it's the. Maybe I said that really quickly, didn't I? I want money myself because yeah. I yearn to fund projects, and that's my own selfishness, maybe. But I use it. I think of it as like oil. But Cohen, you want it too because you like to eat good food, and you like to smoke good cigars, and you like to do things in this world and have experiences and take they, trips. And yeah, but is that is that what we're talking about? To me, it's more. It's more because I want the ability to do what I want whenever in terms of like, I want to make a crazy big movie. I don't want to have to do a whole song and dance in front of investors. Do you think God, do you think God is happy to see you have fun? <sighs> I'm getting some, I'm getting some nods, yes. I think so. Yeah. Correct fun. Okay, so I agree. Yeah. You know, think about it, he, as a father, he loves us as his children. And, what, what parent doesn't look out on the backyard to the playground that they built for their child and they see their child playing on the playground happy with their friends and get great, 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 great joy from that. So we don't, we don't want to project. The problem is, is everything in life has been given for us to enjoy. But to be, to be enjoyed with thanksgiving, it says in Timothy. The, the kind of joy that, that is uniting us and making us more intimate with God versus the kind of joy that separates us from God because it's an alternative joy from God. And so there's a kind of joy. So I don't want to, there's nothing, nothing that's created is the evil. difference of, of having a lovely relationship with your wife for 20 years and then going to a strip club. Yeah. I mean, there's a, yeah. And so there, yeah. To not to be whatever. One is for total self-gratification. Yeah, the other is two pleasure. people sacrificially loving each other, putting their bet on that kind of love that I will actually be happier even because that will be the kind of love that will truly give us joy and happiness. Not the selfish, self-seeking, self-gratifying love of self. <laughs> and so I think God is really gracious to judge us because this story is here 
precisely to warn us away from that kind of perverted self-love. And we see the story, we're to remember it. It's like I said, it's one of the most quoted stories in the Old Testament. Um, and it's always present to remind us that that is a dangerous and bad way for you to go. I just want to clarify one more time for the listeners that the whole pillar of salt thing, the reason why God was so, I don't want to say harsh, but the reason that happened to her, the, we're interpreting the language is that she didn't fully repent. She stopped and looked back at her at the city. It's not just like a little kid, like what you know, curiosity. Yeah, because it's it, a, your, you know, it's first a, read, it seems like well, that's it's not a fair. regret. It's a it's regret a, that I'm leaving hell. Yeah, <laughs> really. A regret that I'm leaving hell. Honestly, and I think we've also. I, by the way, it's not uncommon way. for Christians to struggle with that. Yeah. You become a Christian, and then there's times when I will envy unbelievers. I'll I'll get into Psalm 73, the passage. That's a psalm where. He looks at all those who are unrighteous and yet they seem to be having so much fun and they're living in great castles and it just seems on the surface that that unrighteousness wins in this life. And that's a moment of looking back like she's looking back and saying, forgetting the bigger picture, forgetting where it's going to end up. And that's what it says. Psalm 73, for anybody who's listening, if you envy the righteous, if you envy those who you see and you think, God, how come these people who are so not believers seem to be having such a great life read psalm 73 he describes them as in when they do that it's as if they're standing on a click a, a cliff like i'm imagining this great cliff in the midst of a fog and you don't realize that you are literally standing on a cliff and your next step is going to be your doom and that's the picture of psalm 73 and lot if you will it's also it can be honest honest i've been in i've been in very recently i don't want some parts of this I don't want to get public, but I've been recent in, in very high-end dinners where the bill was just my whole month's rent. And and the misery at that table was so tangible to me where really? we had really? these beautiful meals and just Sounds people not too like misery to me. Serving serving us and just all but like the, the the company and it reminded me of Proverbs, you know, better than to eat some vegetables than to eat in the company, right? So, but it just yeah. like, it never, in the company there of fools. were some souls that was just like, nothing else, like, ah, oh, look at this. There was like that. And I was flabbergasted. It is kind of strange. And when you see people spend so much money on a glass of wine and you think, what, what, what is with this? Yeah. I mean, I, I like wine and in fact, I'm drinking instead of whiskey no, no, today, no, but, my point but is I like, don't think I can tell, tell a hundred dollars difference. I was on a table. I'm not going to say when, but a, a while back of, of, I'm assuming unbelievers, mm -hmm. but who am I to judge? Um, and just like the pity party that came out of that table amid the most glorious spread I've ever seen, it just reminded me that like, this is the life before I've always, I dreamed of having that dinner with Silicon Valley millionaires and people who are founders of companies. And I, and I've been to a couple now and honestly, I'd rather hang out with my roommate after all of that. So I'm, I'm saying all of that is not that all that glitters is gold. And going back to Psalm 73, that like, for those listening who are maybe not whatever that established in the world, uh, I'm telling you from that, from that a glimpse of it, there's, yeah. it's not really, not much to write home to mom about. Well, you know, if we left, if we left this story though, I've been trying to, as you can tell, push back a little bit. I don't want this to turn into a big moralistic bandwagon, you know, it's, 
In other words, so is the moral of the story is get ourselves cleaned up, give ourselves to the poor, give ourselves to the work of the church, give ourselves to all that, sing in a choir, you know, have long quiet times, you know, is that what this is that what this is about? I have no idea. What's the take <laughs> you home? Have What's, no the take idea. Home? What's the take home? Don't don't look back, you turn to salt. I think I think it's yeah, not to to dis, to, to so what are we gonna be Buddhists? Just let go of everything just and let just go like sit in the cave and hide from the oh, that, zombies. And that's, that's a good question. See, and that's why I think I don't want to make sure we don't leave the way that there's no doubt that there's a behavioralistic aspect to unrighteousness. But at the heart of unrighteousness, at least in the story, in the Bible, it's it's your it's a identity with God. It's how we relate to God as our Creator and our Redeemer, the only one who does have the power and the wisdom to give us abundant life. And that's what Christ came to say. Remember, he said he didn't say, I came to give you a shithole of a life. He says, I came to give you life so and life more abundant. what are Jesuits and friars doing? But he said, life more abundant. Well, no, I think there's a mission, no aspect to that. That, okay. that they pray, there's a whole system of prayer. Um, we'd forget that much of, of the Reformation and the doctrines of the scriptures that were preserved through the dark ages was preserved through the monastic movement, you know, and those who were going to the scriptures and reading and praying and yes, divesting themselves of the world in a manner that allowed them to to be focused in some way. So I, I don't wanna, there are many ways to be righteous behaviorally and I'm not gonna despair, you know, perhaps the church fathers and, but, but I do think we would miss the whole point of the story if we stopped right now. Why would you think I'd say that? If we stopped right now, I honestly think we would miss the whole point of the story. I would say because clearly one point is beware, be be warned. Don't don't love the city of, of Sodom and Gomorrah in our life as a spiritual sense. Number two is make sure that your identity is with God. That we're righteous. We're righteous. That we're righteous. Now how are we gonna become righteous? Yeah, what makes because us righteous? you've been sitting here and I've been sitting here admitting that I still struggle with the love of money. I still struggle with the love of, of prestige. I still yeah. suffer the love of myself. I don't find myself righteous at all. In no. fact, I find myself very unrighteous. Exactly. So, so let me I, read you. A, let me tell you. So I have here. Give me some benediction. Make me feel better. Oh, Come man. On. I have here. I'll show it to you. See that? I'll show the camera. Look, I'm going to just show you this. Here are all the Bible verses. He's got them on speed dial. That I have right here. All the Bible verses that deal with Sodom and Gomorrah. And they keep on going until you get to this final one. And here's the final one. And now I, I, I want to read some of these. I wish I could, but but anyway, am I, you know. Um... Anyway, I want to read so much Second Peter 2, 6, if you're taking notes, or Jude 1, 7. But I'm going to end with the last time it was ever mentioned. And that is found in Revelations chapter 11, verse 8. Listen to this. This will put chills in your, in your, in your bones. And he's describing those who are going to hell. This is a passage where God is bringing judgment down upon the world. And he's describing, and I'm picking up mid-sentence here in verse 8. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that is prophetically called Sodom, where also their Lord was crucified. Wow. So that one Did, I mean, that just came I, out of the blue. I, I just wore one ear what out the other. What in the world no happened? <laughs> no idea what. That was one ear You've out the other. You've got to freaking out. Let so me like, read it again. So Listen like, to this. S something's really 
special happening here. He's describing those who are going to hell. And those people who are going to hell are described as dead bodies lying in the street of the great city called Sodom, where also their Lord was crucified. This story, if it warns us, then points us to what? Getting our life together? It seems like Jesus also went there. That's where, that's the grace that Abraham was praying for. He's praying for the Father to relent of destroying that city, even for one righteous. Christ became the righteous. He became the righteous. Who was crucified, dead, and buried? He went to hell. And that's where he was, that's where, this is the meaning of the cross, that Jesus Christ became the long-awaited and prayed-for grace, where injustice was accomplished, Sin was expunged, and yet it was expunged upon him in a manner that we are set free from Sodom and Gomorrah and free from hell. So this is a story that ends with this great, amazing passage where we now know Sodom and Gomorrah was hell, and we know that Jesus went to hell, and that's how we should understand the crucifixion even, is hell satisfied. I just love that. He didn't so deserve believe in Christ, you become can, righteous. Can we just make a comma? He didn't deserve to go to hell. He, he freely Absolutely. chose. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was a, a covenantal relationship with God can and the Son. Can also be fair to say that we all choose to go to hell? Those who are in hell, it's an act of choice. It's not a choice of naive. But he chose to be, go to hell. not because He didn't choose to go to hell by becoming selfish. He chose to go to hell because he became selfless. And he did it for the selfish. Those who would be brought to their knees by a story like this to say, God set me free from that is my destiny. Because that's where we're going if we are left to our own devices. And yet there's a very easy, so easy, we almost miss it way. And it's not the way of religion, getting more religious. It's the way of putting myself in the mercy of God, receiving the Abraham type Christ, who becomes my Savior and interceding for me and my sins at the throne room of God. Moses, I mean, you know, Abraham's interceding is exactly the way Hebrews describes Christ right now for you. So when you sin, he's saying, oh God, but what if, you know, Alex is righteous? Don't get him for that, that mistake. Don't, you know, he's righteous. Why? Because he has put himself in the mercy of what I've done for him. I plead with my blood, it says in Hebrews. Literally, he's pleading with his blood for, for us. So it's an amazing story. And yet again, we see a passage that if we read it too quickly, and if we don't read it in the redemptive historical context, it can, appe- it can appeal appear to be quite the way you described it first off, kind of like a, what was the first way you said it? A, I just, like I, a, I rolled my eyes. I just rolled your eyes. I, I thought a lot of, to be honest, I'm very thankful for this season because a lot of just self selfishly or I don't know if that's the word. Um, I feel like I'm, I'm truly learning because I, I was definitely was just a New Testament kind of guy. Oh gosh, I, I know. The, I thought the Old Testament was just unnecessary. In Isn't that so true? We in the church is complicit for this, or if not guilty for it. I mean, we have, especially in a Christendom way of life, with this this 
this incredible insatiable desire to be either entertained or self-helped give me my three things pastor tell me the three things i should do and i'll go do them and in that and pastors are tempted to do that because they want their their people to come back they know their people might not tolerate a little more in-depth sermon and a little more context. They want the takeaway. They Just want give the it to me spite. simple. They give it to me easy. Step one, step two, step three. And they want their steps. And and here, you, it's not a step. And the, can I the, tell you what's cool about the Bible? I've never seen any evidence of steps. Yeah. Good <laughs> I point. I have not good seen point. in any scripture any evidence where God was like, well, step one, spe- step two, yeah, step three. Highly specific, like, do this and do that. But that was like in extreme circumstances. It wasn't like... Wake up and pray. Have a moment to reflect. Then go write a verse down. And uh, you know, it, there was there was no prescription. It didn't seem like. And, and and one can argue that maybe some early Jews had a lot of stuff that. You know, it's but, um. But but it, almost every passage you preach. Well, not almost all every passage you preach. If you read it in a redemptive historical way, the solution is Jesus Christ, and it's he's the hero, not us. And. And, unfor- you know, again, I, I know that parents want to become good parents. So tell me how to parent, God. And all of that, there's things like that there. But most of it's just listening and obeying. And, and you know, it's that simple. And, who, and trusting who is your God. I have a story to tell you. Uh, yesterday in our service. Trust in, God. In this, um, in this service that we had to, to uh, particularize the church down in Fairfield. Um, John Thomas. Do you know John Thomas? He's a friend of mine. And yeah. An old friend of mine. We go back a long time. But anyway, he had this, he was there to charge the new elders. Uh, you know, you give a charge kind of thing. And I thought it was really hilarious. You know, um, they walked up and the first thing he said, wow, you, you know, really, you know, you really got dressed up for the occasion, didn't you? <laughs> One was with short pants and a t-shirt. The other was with juji. So it was perfect. I love this feeling of that service. But um, anyway, he tells he says basically, I have, you know, what I'm gonna, I charge you, this way. And he told a story when he was in Spain of how um, sheep, that they, they, when they were there, they would see one shepherd, and then they'd see all these sheep, and then there'd be like one or two sheep with a bell on them. And so they asked the shepherd, what, what's what's with the bell on the two sheep? And he says, those are the sheep that listen to me. Whoa. And he says, and so they, so when they walk, the bell, the the the, uh, the sheep follow the bell. So the sheep follow the bell, who's on the sheep that listen to Jesus. See, he only puts the bell on the sheep that listen to Jesus. So his exhortation was, you know, listen to Jesus. Just just listen to Jesus. It's really that simple. Be a good elder. Listen to Jesus, and people will follow you. And now I would have loved to hear a little more scripture and some things maybe, but the point is, is that. In this, this story, it's really that simple, Christianity, and we lose that with all this, all this, I don't know, blah, 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 that comes up with how to become a, a good parent and how, you know, just listen to Jesus, read your scripture, listen to what he's taught. He's taught it in the Genesis. He's taught it like today. He taught it to us. Jesus was there talking. I'm convinced it was Jesus that was the, the Lord that was standing with the two angels. Jesus was there, you know, and so listen to Jesus, read the whole scripture, but don't forget to get to Jesus with that scripture. And the Old Testament is not the, the Testament of law and judgment, the New Testament, the law of love and grace. There's love and grace in the Old Testament just as much, if not more, as there's love and grace in the New Testament. 
And there's as much hell in the New Testament as there is hell in the Old Testament. But I do feel that if, so therefore I would encourage all of us with the help maybe of those who study it more than you can study it, obviously being at work all day, you can't do that. But find people who will help you read the Bible holistically and just listen to Jesus. And I think that's it. And what he'll tell you is my burden is light and my yoke is easy. Why? Because if you're listening to Jesus, he's saying, I'll do it for you. I'll do it for you. You know, I, I will suffer the and hell for you. that's the crux. And I will be the righteousness for you. And that's what we stumble over grace in that way. And then what we do, because we love this guy now, and we know this guy loves us, we start following him. And when we start following him, we find ourselves loving our neighbor. And we find ourselves being less enthralled with about money and about experiences and about vacations. And these, we still do them, but if we do them, we do it with Thanksgiving and we enjoy it because we know God is with us because he's happy for us to enjoy the world he gave us. But it doesn't obsess us. That's not our I feel like I've been preaching today. A little bit. I'm, I'm a little bit. Yeah, That's I think I'm preaching. I, I, I got to step back here, get back in the pub. That's it. Well, um, one sec. Oof. It's good. I mean, sometimes I need it, you know, I... I like to be preached to. Well, one second. I, I'm just gonna cut. You ready? Yeah. So we got a little thing going here. Yeah, just wait for this. Um. Um. Hey. <laughs> Good. Okay. Little, little, uh, little, little, little commercial little break. Commercial that break. Could be a good commercial break. There you we go. We should do little commercial breaks of just like little clips of like our old episodes. And, and what? Like, and what do you want to sell right now? Smoking theologians. Okay. Yeah. Sell it, brother. So, everyone, thank you for watching again. Um, where are you going? Who are you putting your hope in? Who are you putting your faith in? Um. You're becoming an evangelist now. You used to just tell them to watch Smoking Theologians. Now you, I can tell you're getting more evangelistic. Well, I want them, I, you know, I, I know the folks who listen to this show, like, at, at least at this point, season three, episode six, they're probably, you know, I just want them to let you know we care about you and we're doing this for them, right? Yeah. And, and, yeah, we are. And um, I, I talked with someone, just two people last week. Yeah. The guy, you know, PJ, uh, well, I can't say the name, but right after the, right after the show last week, I had a over an hour conversation with someone who's listening to us and he's someone who doesn't believe in, in you know in all this but he's kind of he said but i kind of want to yeah. and uh, we had a wonderful conversation and we're going to continue it and then i had another person want to meet with us my wife and i and see um, what's happening sir yeah and You're they well but, but they were months ago well, i don't know if they watch the show i don't know i didn't do that oh come on that's bull crap so many different ways i'm not a whiner well, like what's that. the impact what's the metric well so, we, you know, i was i was you know? i was analyzing what and i was like dude just and, wait 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 yeah that's he's definitely been the guy that wants to keep it going but and i do too but yeah. but the, but the good news is that so i they were but there was a person who was talking to us who was concerned about her boyfriend and who's really been turned off from the church and um, for all kinds of reasons which listen to what he's experienced I wouldn't blame him church became just a program to you know I think some people experience the church just the only thing you like me for is if I can become a Christian 
you know, and you can jump into a program or something like that. And that's kind of way he's experienced it. And so anyway, he, he's not interested. in it. so she say point blank, just I don't. What can I do? And I said, well, you know, maybe y'all should just learn together. Don't don't try to preach to him or anything. Just why don't y'all study something? You know, read something or do a podcast. Well, we don't read. I said, okay, why don't you do a podcast? Well, tell me a podcast to do. And I said, okay, I'll go. I'll, I'll go in line and try to find one that I think really involves skeptics and people who are engaged in that. I literally searched for an hour looking for a podcast. Every one of them were, if, if the word cynic or septic or any of that kind of stuff, doubters, whatever's in it, it was always sort of pastor figures telling Christians how to talk to other people. Another program. What I was looking for is an actual real life conversation between two people who were engaging and just doing it as people on a journey together or whatever. And I couldn't find it. And then I thought, well, why don't you listen to the one we did with Alex blank time? Because he really represented well, the honest questions that he had. And, um, and I mean, do you so think I'm hoping that's what's happening here. Do you think it's a coincidence? I think this is a unique situation that yeah. you can listen to two people and you are really here not as a pastor who's pretending to be a pastor. You're here, we call it the layman, who is on an existential journey yourself and you're very existential about it, which I love. And I'm here supposedly as a theologian, but one who's discovered in the show is just as much on an existential journey as you. Yeah. And that's what we need to keep it like. So don't preach at him, okay? No Not preaching. Cheers. No more preaching. No more preaching. Guys, if you like this show, you know what to do. Like, subscribe, share with your friends. Um, yeah, what stories are are messing you up that you want to talk about? You know, what stories, obscure stories, especially in the Old Testament that you're wrestling with, you, you mull over, you roll your eyes at. I... I don't know, to be honest, I don't really know that many stories in the Old Testament, so I know Proverbs and Psalms, and I can deal with Genesis, so. So give us a give, give us, us one. Couple, give us a couple. Uh, yeah, thank you again for watching, and all your support and love. Love you, and I love you too. You too, I love you too, brother. If you like to be loved, pray to Jesus. Oh my God. I'm getting too evangelical. I'm feeling the spirit today.